You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Okay, guys, well, good morning. Good morning to you. Come and grab a seat. And again, can we just welcome the guys that are joining us online this morning? Maybe just turn towards the cameras and give them a big whoop. Morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us this morning. If you're watching online, and can I add my welcome to you uh, this morning? My name's James, and I'm, uh, well, I'm one of the pastors here at Catalyst, and in particular, this site, along with Victoria, we lead this site. So uh, great to see you all. I hope you're pumped and ready for some of God's Word. You know, this morning in my own personal reading, I was just reading that moment where Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and um, Martha is getting a little bit bent out of shape because she's like making dinner and doing all that stuff and then Jesus basically says the end of that little passage he says hey Martha chill Mary has chosen better you know we as a as a church believe in doing what Mary did is like we're going to take some a few minutes and we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus, and we've been worshiping him, haven't we? And we need that in our weeks. We need moments where we come and we gather around Jesus and we open up the scriptures and we say, God, Jesus, would you come and speak to us this morning? Teach me, challenge me, uh, affirm me. This morning I felt as we were worshiping, and maybe you're listening online and watching online, that you need to be, we need to be reminded that the posture of God, the posture in Christ is towards us he comes to us and he wants to encourage us and love us this morning and so we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to get stuck in and and let's be open to whatever he wants to do is that okay are we good maybe you want to put a hand on your head or hand on your heart and just go be open I want to be encouraged. I want to understand a little bit more. Oh no, some people are going like this now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. Can, you, can anyone else do that? I, I'm like, anyway, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well we um, had a, for those of you that know us, we had the opportunity to have a little bit of a break and uh, Tori and I jumped in a taxi to go to the airport uh, to come home and uh, we were abroad. And uh, the taxi driver turns to us, he gets on the radio, he turns to us and said, I'm really sorry, there's been an accident and uh, people are waiting in the queue in the traffic for two hours. And we were like, oh no, we're going to miss our flight. But this guy was, I don't know, I mean, he was amazing. He was a bit crazy, crazy driver. You know, one of those guys, you like him, but you're like, well, a bit nervous. Anyway, he took us on a 10-kilometer detour and uh, we missed all the traffic and we got to the airport and it was all good and we were like, yeah. And then we got through security, and then it went, and then it came up. The flight to Edinburgh has been delayed. We're like, we made it, and now another delay. And then we got on the plane, and we're like, alas, you know, we're going we're gonna to fly. And then it's like, and now, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry to say, we're going to be sitting here for at least another 40 minutes. I'm like, ah. Life is like that, isn't it? We experience delay. We experience disappointment. Sometimes things, you know, we make plans, but 
they get moved about and, I don't know, pushed. And what we're going to find today is, believe it or not, even in the Apostle Paul's life, he makes plans. And, uh, but the reality is, they are sometimes pushed and they don't always happen the way that he wants them to happen. And we as Christians, as we come to know Jesus... We experience him, we encounter him, and he puts in each and every one of us a longing and a hope of something in our lives where we want to bring something of heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do. Do you realize that? When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to becoming conduits of bringing something of the future, something of heaven into and onto this earth. And the reality is this, this earth is full of disappointments and delays and, 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 and sometimes accidents and mistakes and sometimes we are the delay <laughs> in what God wants to do. We are the problem. I, I guess what I'm saying is in the posture of the passage that we're going to be reading today is there are some plans, plans and we're going to hear the longing of Paul's heart. We're going to also see that he is hindered, but he looks through and beyond the hindrances to a future hope, okay? And that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. The book of Hebrews puts it this way, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In other words, faith is about pulling what we've seen and heard in God into this earth and onto this earth. And the reality is that is not plain sailing. Because there's somebody who does not want heaven to gate crash earth. There's somebody who really doesn't like that. And he is holding on to some stuff on earth. He does not want you and me to become the people that God has called us to be and to bring more of heaven to the places and to the people around us. And he will try and hinder us. And we're going to see a little bit of that in a moment in this passage. All right, are you with me? Give us an amen. And if you're online, do the same with your coffee or whatever. Brilliant. Okay, so here we go. We're going we're gonna to join the passage in um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 17. But let me just give you a little bit more context and just a little reminder, you know, what's going on here. You know, Paul um, has gone to Thessaloniki and he's been preaching the gospel and uh, it's been amazing. The whole bunch of people have come to know Jesus, have encountered him. But also, we see with that, of the planting of this church, we also see a rise in persecution. We see a group of uh, Jewish people get very jealous, and it's almost like their jealousy is weaponized by the enemy and used to create chaos and to stir up a, a bad crowd, and they cause a riot in the city. 
And so Paul then has to leave Thessalonica, and then he goes up to a place called Berea, which is just up the road. And the same people that caused trouble in that city came, kind of really stalked him and followed him up the road and did exactly the same. And it got to such a level and such a state that, that Paul had to leave the area. And I don't think he had to leave the area because he was worried about his own personal skin. He left the area because he was worried about the church that he had planted. He, he thought, actually, I need to get out of the way here and allow this thing just to quiet and settle down. And so he leaves the area, goes to Athens, and then eventually ends up in Corinth. And he's writing this letter from Corinth between a year to 18 months after being with that church. And he loves this church. They are an extraordinary group of people, young believers growing up in an environment that's incredibly hostile to the gospel. And last week, if you were here or you were watching and listening online, Kirsty just reminded us that the normal environment of church growth and for Christians to grow is actually an environment of hostility and persecution, that between 60 and 70% of the church globally experiences quite serious pushback. So we are incredibly fortunate. And that's not to say that none of us experience persecution in this, in this country and in this context, but I don't think we experience it to the extent of some of the people that I know. And I just read a report just this week on a group of leaders in northern India who were beaten for their faith. In the largest democracy in the world, this Christian minority are being persecuted. So, so this is the context, okay? And, uh, and, and, and into that, we see that Paul has some longings. He's going to be hindered by some things, but he looks beyond the present to something future. Okay, you ready? Okay, it's on the screen as well if you want to um, follow. Here he, he says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. He's separated. He's been pushed out of this uh, area. A number of years ago, actually it was more than a number of years ago, some of you know my story, some of you won't, but I lived in India for a number of years and uh, I remember, uh, and I might even have told this story, so you know, just go with it anyway and laugh appropriately. But, uh, <laughs> but I remember I was a kid, I was probably about 10 years old and my mum and dad were teachers in an international school and my dad took a whole bunch of uh, seniors away on activity week and the, uh, the you know, I guess the, the truth is in the title. It's meant to be activity for a week. The reality is, is he took them down onto the plains of India and they were doing all these tours of different cities and, and all the rest of it. And in 1984, 
Um, Mrs. Indra Gandhi, who was the prime minister at the time, was assassinated while my dad was away with these guys. And we were in the school campus in the mountains. And when that happened, the entire country exploded in chaos. Racial divides across that nation opened up and there was violence and horrible stuff was happening. And my dad was separated from us. And, uh, you know, it was before, well before the times of mobile phones and, you know, and FaceTime, isn't that good? And WhatsApp and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we knew nothing of what was going on. There was martial law. There was, you know, it was, it was, there was, um, what do you call it, when, uh, when everything shuts down at a particular time, a curfew was ensued. I mean, it was mob rule. And we knew nothing. We were like, what, where are they, what's happened? We were separated. We didn't have communication. Eventually, I think it was three to four weeks into this, they got word that they were okay and they were sort of holed up in a hotel and it was okay. I think it was six weeks before they got back to the school and I remember this jeep pulling up and my dad getting out and I saw him I'd been playing like football with my friends and I saw my dad come out of the car and I took off running because there'd been a longing in that moment of separation and I remember jumping into the arms of my dad and it was like oh he's home and I remember him also articulating, I'm back, we're back, we're family. You see, separation creates what's really, like, and exposes what's really going on in here, eh? Paul has been separated from family. This passage and this longing, you see, Paul, what was the first thing I really want to talk about here is the, the separation shows that Paul had this longing love for these people. Deep, longing love. Concern for them. You know, and, you know, as you read the letters of Paul, you know, you read Romans and you're like, wow, Paul is like mega teacher, isn't he? And the wisdom, and sometimes it's hard to fully understand, but you see in him a real teacher, almost the lawyer side of, law, of him. And then you read some of the other letters and you're like, man, he's like a coach, you know what we see in the book of Thessalonians? He's a parent. Paul is like, I'm a dad. These are my kids. I love them. I've seen them born. You know, I went and I toiled and I, and, and I took the heat, you know, and I saw these kids being born again and, and, and come into new life. What we see here, the posture of Paul throughout the book of Thessalonians, he is, he is a dad, he's a parent, and he loves, he really loves these people. These, are not, these people are not a three-week project or a three-month project. This, is, they are, this, this church is not a project. This church is a family. And sometimes I think we know we use this word, hey, we're family. Do you know what? We're flippant with it. We just are. We don't mean to be, but I think when you're around people who have been persecuted and you've been around people who have really had to, you know, experience real sacrifice and pain to see something grow in God, like that word family becomes a, a whole deeper and more truer thing. 
I'm just challenged afresh by that, even in my own life. I love my family. I love my kids. We were away for the first time in a long time, just Tori and I, you know, off, swanning off, relaxing, and our, our, our kids were at home. And do you know what? I missed them. I can't believe it. I thought, like, before we went, I was like, 20 years it's been since we got away on our own. And I'm going, I feel like I've lost an arm. Where's the, you know, the why? Because separation exposes really what's going on in here. And for Paul, what it does is it brings out in him, you know, when you turn the page and you look at the language he uses throughout Thessalonians, hey, we came to you as caring and nursing mothers. We wanted to nourish you. We loved you. We, we took care of you. I, we, we came as dads who encouraged and comforted and urged you to become all that you can be. The language is there. And so then when he drops in brothers and sisters, I'm going, Hey, I'm, I'm a little bit challenged. Just in these two sentences, am I living with a longing love? A longing love for my family. Do we look at each other and really have this kind of longing love that will do everything and anything to be united to stay together, we're not going to let anything get in the way, we're going to have short accounts, and we're going to love one another. What does Jesus say? You're going to know my followers by how they love one another. He is living with a deep longing love. And here's, I've just been thinking about this. Because when you love someone, you do experience joy with them, don't you? You laugh. There's a connection. But also, when you really love somebody, you feel pain. You feel what they're feeling. When they're going through stuff, it's like, it is uncomfortable. I'm beginning to realize, if this is how Paul felt about the church... In Thessaloniki, this is how Jesus feels about you and me. He feels a deep longing for you and me and for those that don't know him. He is like there is a longing that's still seeking to stretch out and bring people in. And it is uncomfortable. And so pastorally, I've just been thinking about us and us in the church and here at Catalyst. And I'm like, you know, our leaders really love you guys. And sometimes you may not realize this, but there is, there is pain in here. Because as a parent or as a friend, you feel people's stuff. Paul is feeling some stuff here. He's feeling the pain of this church who's being persecuted. And I think it's okay to live with that because it actually motivates him. What does it do as we read on? It says, I, as a result of that, I have been trying to get back to you. I've been trying to get to, to, to see you. In fact, verse 17, this is a fascinating thing. I don't know if you noticed this. He says this. Um, he says, uh, we were orphaned. I thought, well, that, well, that's a really interesting use of life. In fact, that's an inversion. The language has been inverted there because he's the spiritual father of this people. And you would think that like the kids are more dependent on the parent in that moment. You would think he would have said it in a different way. But instead he says, I have been orphaned by being separated. 
He is flipping this thing around and saying, I have, I, I'm grieving. I have lost out. I've lost something of my family here. It's interesting, isn't it? He recognizes that this is family, and I, I love these guys, but they love me, and I'm now missing something. Oh, wow. Let me land this little bit on that. We need a longing love for one another. That's what Paul has. That's what Jesus has. Let's allow that to just sink in. When we look around the room and lots of folks are on holiday and all that, let's allow Holy Spirit for your love to grow in my heart for each other. When we're in connect group, that's why we believe connect group is so important. Because it's in that place we learn to really love and care and hear and listen to people's stuff. And our hearts, yeah, sometimes they need to be allowed to get heavy for the other people and what they're going through. Because that's what Jesus' heart does. A longing love. And it motivates him. It motivates him to try and get back and reconnect. And so, here we go. He says here, for I wanted to come to you. Certainly I did, uh, Paul did, again and again. But Satan blocked our way. He, you know, his plans were, I want to get back. But he's saying something's going on here. I've tried on a number of occasions. Now, when I read the Bible, right, I've got to be honest, I'm like, how did that happen? Hold on a minute. There's loads of scriptures out there. If the Lord is with me, who can be against me? Yeah? We love those ones, don't we? You know, who can thwart the plans of God? Nobody. You know, yeah, we, we, and we're like, but hold on a minute here. Here's the, a great apostle Paul who's made a plan to return, and it says, and Satan blocked him. So I don't know about you, but I'm like a ferret. I'm like, and some of you are like, what's a ferret? It's, it's like a, I don't know, a large rat that likes to burrow. So, so I'm like, I need to find out what on earth is going on here. Like what is going, how did Satan block Paul from getting back? Because it doesn't say in the text, and did he try to get on the boat and return and cross the border? Did they have a passport? And I'm sorry, refused. Why? How? You know, what's going on here? Was there storms that suddenly, and he's interpreting whatever that resistance is that somebody's behind this. The enemy is behind and does not want him to return. Because why? Because he's a dangerous man in the eyes of the enemy. Because everywhere he goes, he is pulling heaven onto earth. And people are coming to know Jesus. He is a marked man. And somebody really doesn't like that. You see, what's happened, and I've done a bit of reading, a bit of reading, a bit of history. But, you know, I've got a theory. And I just want to say it's a theory. Okay? But here's my theory. The likelihood is this. That the government or the governing body of Thessaloniki or Thessalonica were very concerned because when Paul came, just his presence created civil unrest. And so what happened then 
is, you know, and then he went to Berea and the same happened again. He's got this reputation. If you read Acts chapter 17, it says, when the jealousy of these Jewish people got wind of Paul, they actually went to the proconsul and said, this guy has caused trouble all over the Roman Empire. What a reputation that is. I mean, at one level, I'm like, that's a great reputation, isn't it? Everywhere he went, he caused kingdom trouble. These cities were obviously they're ruled by the Roman Empire, but they were often ruled locally by like a like a proxy government. And so they are exceptionally concerned about civil unrest. And so the likelihood is they put a legal embargo on Paul. He's a Roman citizen, remember, as well. And so somehow they've put some kind of affidavit together to ban him from returning. So when he tries to make a legal application to return to the city, the likelihood is he's getting blocked. But what's behind all of that is weaponized jealousy and fear. Because behind all of that is that the enemy has been given ammunition by these Jewish leaders and their jealousy has come to the fore and it's like he has just wafted that into flame and caused chaos. They are concerned that if there is civil unrest, guess what? Rome would bring their justice to the situation and guess what that meant? It meant a bunch of legionnaires would walk in and crush everything and anything probably crucify a few people and deal with it in that manner and so the likelihood is he's interpreting all of that but I just the behind all of this is an enemy that does not want me to return so here's the thing when I'm reading this I'm like wow Lord What is, like, Paul's must be living with some disappointment here. He's longing to go and return, and yet it's not happening. And I guarantee, I guarantee, like, we would do this, wouldn't we? We'd be praying, wouldn't we? We'd be having, like, a morning kingdom come prayer meeting for Paul to get back to, and I guarantee all of that was happening. But it seems like they're knocking on the door, but nothing's happening. And I've been asking the question, well, what's going on there? But here's the thing, the gospel and the kingdom... It's like water. It finds a way. You see, what happens here is one man is targeted. Paul can't go. But in the very next chapter, we see his understudy, who's not on a wanted list, returns. Where Paul is blocked, Timothy returns. Where Paul wants to go and do his ministry, he can't, but another is released. You see, the reality is this, when we operate in ministry, in team, there's too many options for the enemy to deal with. (laughs) It's cool, isn't it? Because one man is blocked, but the answer is in another. What I love about Paul is that he's already prepared for that. He's already built a whole group of people around him who are passionate, who are learning and growing. It's this community of discipleship and leadership development, and suddenly when he can't, they can. 
So when the enemy blocks, they're released. The word here, I, I'm not sure if the NIV, NIV is particularly good at this particular bit of translation because actually the, the, the kind of Greek word that he uses in all of that is more like um, hampered. And it's, a, it's a, a, a military term. And it was, it was described the retreat of a defeated army. And I really like this. Because it brings context now to this blockage. Because Paul recognizes, oh, no, no, no. The enemy has been defeated, but he's going to do all he can as he retreats. He's going to burn the carts. He's going to dig up the road. He's going to set fire to the fields. He's going to do all he can, you know, as he's retreating because he knows he's defeated. And at some point, the road is going to run out. That is inevitable because the gospel and the kingdom is coming. You see? It's, it's a great image, isn't it? So when he says, I was blocked, I was hampered, he's also saying, but also there's a way here. There's a way around the burning carts. There's a way around the dug up road. And that way is in you, Tim- Timothy. You go. He's invested. Like we believe that. Like, like, listen, the gospel and the kingdom in our church or in this area is not just linked to us leaders. That's why we are opening up the Sunday evening service here for all of our young people. And we're getting our young people up here doing five minutes of fire and learning to preach and pray for people. Why? Because we want legacy. We want the gospel and the kingdom and our legacy to go way beyond me and Chuck and Taryn and the other leaders here, but actually into our young people and into our kids and to our Timothys. Because there'll become a time where we will be hampered. There are certain things I won't be able to do, but they will. The enemy can only use that which is given to him against you and me. Given to him by other people, and we see that in this passage, and it's jealousy and fear. He can only use that stuff. Or if we give him some stuff. And in the persecuted world where the church is hampered by literal fear and brutality, often it's not that that hampers or stops the gospel. It's personal temptation. Personal temptation is the way that the enemy absolutely loves to hamper and to stop and to stall and to derail. And so for you and me, we need to love one another, help each other, encourage one another, protect one another. Because the enemy is defeated and he is in full retreat. But we also need to be aware that he wants to hamper, he wants to slow down. He wants to slow down the work of God in all of our lives and what God wants to do in and through us. So we need to be aware. Paul was aware, but he had a plan. And that plan involved a young Timothy to go and to encourage and to stretch his leadership legs and ministry. And we'll hear probably next week or the week after the great report that he has. In 1994, some of you weren't even born. Some of you were like, yes, that was my heyday. 1994, I was part of this church and there was a plan to go to Russia on a little mission trip. And my boss at the time 
uh, who worked in the oil industry, was putting the team together. And he said, hey, James, do you want to come along and be a part of this thing? I was like, great, yeah, let's do it. Woo, yeah. You know, it's Moscow. It's 1994. You know, literally, the revolution had happened. The tanks had rolled into Red Square. The whole deal had happened literally 18 months before. The, 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 the curtain was coming down. The, I mean, Moscow, Russia was opening up. It was a, it was a different time to what it is right now. And I'm not going to make any political statements like that. But into that moment, was we all prepped. There was about eight or ten of us about to go. And suddenly my boss came in and he went, can't, I can't go. And I can't remember what had happened, that something had happened at work. And he had to go and deal with it. So he turned to me and he went, James, I want you to lead the team. <laughs> I was like 21. He said, no, I, I think you can do it. Oh my goodness, he got blocked for whatever reason, and now Timothy has got to step in and step up. And in fear and trembling, when we got this team together, we went to Moscow for two weeks. And I remember, just, like, just thinking about this, is just crazy. I'm walking through Moscow airport. And there are like men in Kalashnikov rifles, and it's all there, you know. I'm walking through... I think I still had fairly, oh no, I had a haircut by then, looked less dodgy. And I'm walking through with this like overnight bag, and in the overnight bag was $10,000 in cash. I mean, if they stopped me, they'd be like, uh, bank robber? No, Jesus lover, you know. <laughs> anyway, we were taking this gift into the country because their finance, rubles weren't even really worth anything, everything was being done in dollars. So I'm walking in with 10K. <laughs> totally naive. It probably worked with me. You know, we went and we were preaching on the streets doing ridiculous mime, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and we went to this one place with these huge high rises. My mate was preaching and, and he said, come on down, literally, come down if you want to come to know Jesus. And there were shouts from these high rises, like the ones at the back of here at Denburn. And people were opening the windows going, wait, I'm coming, I'm coming. And they were literally running down. About 40 of them came to the front and they gave their, knelt down and gave their lives to Jesus. A church started in that place. We're like, we were like, like pinching each other going, who are we? What are we doing here? You know, sometimes one gets blocked and suddenly it's a moment. I learned more in that moment in terms of ministry, in terms of listening to Jesus, in terms of stepping out in faith. I mean, we stood in Gorky Park. And we began to preach in an open-air context. And there was about 150 people came. And suddenly, two blacked-out SUVs rocked up. And the mafioso got out. And the guy was like six foot six and built like a brick. And I'm thinking... Because the gospel is like water. It will find a way. But that way could be in you and me. All right. And then let's land on this. Because I've gone on a bit. He makes a plan. It is thwarted. Paul is targeted. But what happens is that even though he's probably at one level living with some disappointment, he can look through the present situation to what? To a time where he will be reunited with that church. 
Look at what it says at the end there. It says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will call glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Can you see the parallel here? Is Here is Paul longing to be reunited with his friends, his family, and his church. And the parallel is this. Jesus is longing at the end when the, when the enemies run out of road and it's time, he is, you know, there's a longing in the heart of Christ to return for his bride. Paul's whole perspective in the present shifts as he looks through the, the, the concerns and the situation. He says, one day we will be reunited. And it might not be in this life, but it'll be in the life eternal. That's a future-focused person. It's cool, eh? That's a future-focused person. And that's what this whole uh, series is about. Is this, there are present stuff going on in our lives, but we draw hope from that promise that everything will change. But we're not going to sit on our laurels We're going to still knock on the door. We're still going to try and cross the borders. We're going to do all that we can to reach others and to love one another. And yes, we do need to be aware we will be hampered, that we are going to experience a few burning carts on the road, but there's always a way around them because he's defeated and Jesus is victorious. We good? Great. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us and maybe you've been listening and watching online as well maybe you want to I don't know just take a moment Lord Jesus we are inspired by the early church we're inspired by their tenacity by their leadership we're inspired by how you were always at work in spite of hindrances and hamperings and I pray for us this morning for each and every one of us wherever we're at whatever's going on would you come and encourage us help us to be a church that releases Timothy's I know that I talked about our young people, but I don't think that's an age thing. It's an attitude and availability issue. Let's be available to whatever God wants for us. And when a door of opportunity opens, give us courage, conviction to step in and step up. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just be at work now, resting on us as we go back into worship. In Jesus' name, amen.